Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 469 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, December 18th, 2022. We are a week away from Christmas, and we are hours away. Hours, mere hours, unless you live in Europe or Asia, in which case it already happened. But we are hours away on the East Coast from the start of Hanukkah. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I am joined, as always, by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. Jason, good morning, sir. How are you? A little tired on this Sunday morning, but doing great. Both my sons, who now live and study in other cities, are on their way back. One of them arrived last night. So the Evans household, which had been quiet, just me and my wife, is getting a little bit more busy. Donald Wine is also here, and he's not complaining about how early it is because he is fired up for the World Cup final. Yeah, but it's still early. I mean, I've been waking up early every every day this week. Um, so, uh, but yes, the World Cup final, as we record, is a couple of hours away. Uh, I'm going to go watch after that. Tomorrow, I'm going to go visit my dad and my brother for a week. So that's going to be cool. I haven't seen them in a little bit uh, for the holidays. And uh, yeah, I might actually go to Oklahoma, maybe, only to cross it off. What is this like? Why is this the time of year to go? Isn't it cold? No, there's a casino there. So I just want to go and step foot in Oklahoma and the casino is the best way to do it. I feel like there's got to be something. Email us dbrpodcast at gmail.com with ideas of better things for Donald to do in Oklahoma. There's I don't think there's anything better to do. There's got to be something. It's taken 40 years for me to attempt to go. Isn't there like (laughs) isn't there like a museum? Or a... my dad lives. My dad lives less than an hour away from the border, and I still have never been. Like I lived in Texas for two years in Dallas, an hour away from the border. Had one attempt to go to Oklahoma, and it failed because of a tornado. So after that, I was like, I don't need to go. Um, and and it's almost point, it's it's almost yeah. such an Oklahoma excuse to not visit that it it's like it counts. Like if a tornado prevented you, that yeah. feels very Oklahoma. It feels very Oklahoma and Texas for that matter. Yeah, but still, people let us know if uh, if you have an idea for for what Donald should do in Oklahoma. It seems like such a waste just to just and oh, unless you're Jason, it seems like a waste to only go for the casino. Yeah, no, I I fully approve. Way to go, Donald! <laughs> Gamble, my friend. <laughs> so Take money from the casino. So last time we were here, uh, we had Brendan Marks on for an enlightening discussion about Duke basketball to this point in the season. Today we're back merely to preview Duke's uh, second ACC game, which is. Uh, against Wake Forest on Tuesday night at, is it still called Lawrence Joel Veterans Memorial Coliseum? I think that's still the name of the place. It's a a large, imposing uh, building. Uh, sometimes when you go in there, there's a gentleman with a very large foam uh, pastor's head that rides a motorcycle. And Duke is playing there on Tuesday night. They're back from exam break. So we're here to preview that. We also are bringing back an old segment we used to call Parting Shots, just because we have a couple of like random topics we need to touch on and one email that uh, I would like to respond to. So let's get started with that then. Duke, As I said, Duke plays Wake on uh, Tuesday night. Steve Forbes and his crew are coming off a pretty devastating loss to Rutgers last night. They went up to uh, to New Jersey and got their brains beaten in by the Scarlet Knights. So... Donald, where are we today with Wake Forest? I don't think Brendan highlighted them as one of the teams likely to make the NCAA tournament this spring. But uh, where where are they right now? He did say that you can't count Steve Forbes out when Steve Forbes is coaching. He, he you know, rightfully considers Steve Forbes one of the better coaches in the ACC. I, I believe it was last year uh, that he won the ACC coach of the year. 
but they are eight and four right now. They're own one in the ACC. Uh, their wins aren't that great. There's one win against Wisconsin. Um, they did beat Georgia, which is a little bit better than than Georgia of previous years, but not great at all. Um, their losses, though, they they've lost to Loyola, Marymount, Clemson, LSU, and as you mentioned, they just got smoked by Rutgers on the road by 24. They have lost three of their last four, and the lone win that they have in that stretch was against App State, and that was a buzzer beater at home to win that game. So not a great stretch for them So right now uh, that they're coming in. But I think from the Wake Forest perspective, perspective, they are you know eager to face us because they are, like you said, catching us coming off an exam break. So for Duke, we always say this every time we have an exam break, avoid the rust. We are going to expect a rusty, sloppy game. You have to because after 10 days off, they just aren't going to be as cohesive on the offensive end of the floor. But on defense, that's where we've had our bread and butter. And this is where I think, you know, we have the advantage. But also, if we shoot, if we don't shoot well, the offensive rebounding is going to be a major key because we are number one in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. Wake is 57th in defensive rebounding percentage. We still have the edge. But if we do have a rusty day from on the offensive end, we need to be on the glass. We need to clean it up. And that effort needs to be there. That's something that rust, you know, being 10 days off, that effort can still be there. And at the end of the day, that is what's going to beat the Demon Deacons. Jason, take us a little deeper on some of those topics that Donald was talking about. Uh, he mentioned the the rebounding difference and how that could be the key for Duke. What are the other uh, sort of statistical categories where you think Duke might have an edge on Wake? And and maybe in the other direction, is there anywhere that, that Duke should be wary of uh, Wake's abilities? Yeah, uh, so like Donald said, and I'm, I'm going to get to this, they're a good defensive rebounding team. Not great, but a good defensive rebounding team, and that could be a real key to this game. In terms of their actual ranking in Ken Pomeroy and the advanced statistics, they're considered the number 95 team in the country, uh, which is not great for an ACC team. Um, they're 78th on offense, 120th on defense, so their offense is the better the better half of the game for them. Wake Forest, by the way, interestingly enough, plays at a decent pace. Uh, most, I feel like most of Duke's games this year have been played at a fairly slow pace, uh, and, and we've had opponents who who don't really want to run a lot. Wake is a team that doesn't mind getting up and down the floor. Um, the the average Wake Forest game has more than seventy possessions in it. Duke has only had four games all year that have reached seventy possessions, so this this could be a little bit of a faster game. Than we have seen, you know, previously for the most part from Duke. I mentioned that Wake's better on offense than defense. What they do well on offense is get good shots. They hit a, a fairly respectable 35% from three. They hit 54% of their two-point shots, which is a, a very good number. And they, they do that because there are a couple guys, um, 6'10 power forward Andrew Carr hits about 60% of his two-point field goals. And, and then we're going to talk a lot about Tyree Appleby who transferred to Wake from Florida. He's hitting 56% of his two-point shots, and he's hitting 44% of his three-pointers. This is the guy who's really driving the train for, for Wake Forest. Um, he's 24 years old. He played at both Cleveland State and Florida before coming to Wake for his super senior year. I, by the way, he's never shot the ball anywhere close to the numbers he's putting up this year. Jason, this was the most interesting thing to me is that when you look at his profile and, and as you say, he's he he transferred from Cleveland State to Florida, which is a big jump, right? Uh, going right. from Florida to Wake Forest at I, I think at best, it's 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 like a lateral 
move. And it's probably a downgrade given, you know, the Florida's like general prestige as a program, but they're both power five schools. And as you said, he's not been this shooter ever. Uh, This is this is like a total revelation for him, like in his I don't know if he's still technically an undergrad, but in his fifth year um, as a college basketball player. Yeah, it's his fifth year as a college basketball player, his sixth year in college, though, because he when he did the Cleveland State to Florida thing, he he took a year off. That was before you could transfer instantly. Uh, This dude. Yeah, I I don't know what it is that Steve Forbes does. And, you know, last year, Alondis Williams suddenly became a player that he's never been in his career. This year, it's Tyree Appleby Um, getting back to the and we're going to talk more about him, Sam, I'm sure. But uh, getting back to what Wake does on offense. Uh, this is a team that shoots a lot from three-point range. Appleby is a lot of the reason why, but the rest of the team also likes to take three-pointers. 42% of their shots come from long range, uh, which is a, a fairly high number. And they've got they've got five different guys who take more than two three-pointers a game. They've got four different guys who shoot four or more three-pointers a game. Uh, you know, this is a team that wants to fire away from deep on you. And Duke needs to be very, you know, we need prepared for virtually anybody on this roster to step out and take a three-pointer. Um, they're, they are a poor offensive rebounding team. They only offensive rebound 26% of their missed shots and they turn the ball over too much. Wake is averaging 12 turnovers per game in their loss to Rutgers. Donald mentioned this is a team that's been in a tailspin. They just got hammered by Rutgers. They had 22 turnovers in that loss to Rutgers and Rutgers sort of slapped a little bit of full court pressure on Wake in that game and Wake Forest absolutely could not handle it. They were throwing the ball all over the gym. I want to mention very quickly about their defense. Um, like as Donald said, probably the best thing about their defense is that they're a a, a decent defensive rebounding team, but they don't have any shot blockers. They're, they're really not going to block many shots. Um, they give up a lot of three-pointers. They're willing to let teams shoot from three. And I, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't appear. There's nothing else that stands out really in their statistics as, as something unusual, which I guess is both, good and bad i mean it's not like wake is terrible defensively or offensively at anything but they're not like there's nothing else that they're like top 100 at 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 anything that this is a middling team that will need to perform better way better than usual to play with duke probably also need duke to perform worse than usual and then they're gonna have to figure out what's gone wrong lately because they've just been in a tailspin i mean Merely saying they've lost three or four doesn't do it justice because in two of those games, they just got blown out of the gym. I mean, you know, housed by 20 plus points. And as Donald mentioned, their only win was a last second come from behind buzzer beater at home against Appalachian State, which is an app state, you know, is not like a top tier mid-major. This is a wake team that is in real trouble. Yeah, the uh, I I wanted to talk a little bit about some of their uh players so you mentioned already Tyree Appleby who is the star this year as a uh as a fifth year as a um a sixth year I suppose um he's I I guess he's their point guard he's not very big um but is kind of all over the court um decent assist man is is able to dish it out and uh so so that's probably the guy that that Duke is most worried about one of the questions I suppose then is uh, who's playing defense on the perimeter for Duke in this game and specifically uh, are we seeing Jeremy Roach I haven't seen the news yet about him. Um, so I, I don't know if, if John Shire is just holding that, that back or if there's more to worry about, but that's going to sta- be, they haven't stated anything officially about, about Roach. And I think probably the fact that the guys are taking exams um, there, there may not have been a ton of practices going on. 
uh, up until you know this weekend. Uh, I, I I expect we won't hear anything definitive about Roach until game day. So that's sort of a, a continuing question. The other question for Duke, I, I guess, is you know how much, if at all, were uh, Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively able to progress during the break? You you figure that everyone comes back um, with with maybe some new tricks they want to try out, but also uh, if depending on how much they're able to practice, there may be rust. So um, they're gonna they're gonna be dealing with all of that, and they're dealing with it on the road. So I don't want to downplay uh, Wake Forest too much because there is something difficult about having the time off, getting back into the rhythm, and then uh, and then also going on the road. It's not a far trip. They get to get on the bus as opposed to getting on an airplane. But um, there there will be things that they need to work out. It is, I assume, it's it's sort of uh, after school for Wake as well. So hopefully the uh, the crowd is not as as lively as it as it usually is there. I think the one thing about this game as well is that as you as we've known, our, we last played on the tenth, so we'll have a ten day break before we step foot on the court against Wake Forest. Then after this game, we'll have an 11-day break before we come back and really get into the meat of the ACC schedule. So I'm sure John Shire and the coaching staff are are preaching this, but hey, let's get out there. Let's use all our energy on this game. There's nothing to conserve it for. We have, again, an 11-day break after this. Go ahead and put all, like just like we did against uh, Maryland Eastern Shore, I admit that was sloppy game. But we put all that energy into that game knowing that we had the break coming up. We had the rest coming up. So let's go ahead and do that. Another guy for Wake Forest that I I assume folks will remember is Davian Williamson, who's their their shooting guard. Um, plays a lot of minutes, is not, you know, an, an, an overwhelming uh threat, but uh is is sort of um joining there in the in the backcourt. The one other guy for for Wake Forest that I wanted to highlight was uh, junior Andrew Carr. He's a big man, 6'10", um, not the greatest rebounder, but a good rebounder. Uh, so he'll be going up against against Duke's bigs. The Wake bench doesn't go particularly deep. They have like six or seven guys that are likely to play against Duke. And then, you know, sort of depending on the on the outcome, maybe you see them empty their bench. But um, I, I think, you know, as Jason said, they're sort of a middling team. So it's not like there are as many standout guys here as you might expect um, from some of other Duke's opponents, especially some of the ACC opponents that we will get to this year. You know, Andrew Carr, I think, is a very interesting player. And I, I think his matchup, which will likely be mostly with Kyle Filipowski, is a, is a very interesting one for Wake. Uh, Carr, Carr is the guy who hit the, the, uh, the shot to win the game against Appalachian State just a couple of days ago. He's a fairly versatile power forward, uh, as Sam said. He's he's got decent, you know, he's got decent size and 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 strength on his body, um, but but is not really a guy who wants to go in the post and bang with you a lot. Um, and he's willing to go outside and shoot three pointers as well. And he's fairly decent at shooting three pointers. Uh, I think that's a, a very interesting matchup in this game. If if somehow um, Wake uh, is really staying close with Duke, if this is a very very tight game down the stretch. I think a lot of the reason will probably be because Tyree Appleby is is taking advantage of Duke's maybe younger um, point guards like Tyrese Proctor, and that Andrew Carr is is successful in battling against Kyle Filipowski. If he's not, I think Wake's in real trouble. I don't know if it's a good sign for Wake or a bad sign for Wake that perhaps their best rebounder is a six four guard. Uh, that's Cameron Hildreth, who is uh, didn't play much last year, so. I'm not sure how much Duke fans will remember him, but he uh, he leads their team with six rebounds a game. And like I said, he's small. So I don't know if that means that he is in 
he's an outstanding, you know, uh, individual rebounder and just happens to have a nose for the ball. Like we've seen um, some sort of smaller mid-sized guys have, or if it just means that wake doesn't, you know, as, as you pointed out, uh, they're not the greatest rebounding team. So it is sort of interesting that they've got notionally a wing player. Who's their best rebounder. Yeah. I mean, th- to me, the big thing about wake is, are we going to see the team that started off the season seven and one, including a, a victory over Wisconsin, which is a decent victory. Or are we going to see the team that has been one and three over their past four games and not essentially non-competitive with with decent the decent teams that they've played. Donald, give me one thing that you're looking for from Duke in this game. As you mentioned, it's a long layoff before and after this one. So uh we'll we'll try not to overreact to this game one way or another, but but give me one thing you're looking for. Energy. I mean it's the it's the key. It's, it's how you get out of slumps, it's how you get out of rust. Uh, how you overcome it, at least, and how you overcome a crowd on the road. That energy, right. that intensity needs to be there. So we will see how Duke plays uh, in that one. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we have some odds and ends we need to tidy up. So stick around. We are back and we have a couple of news stories we wanted to touch on. Jason, I'm going to let you go first because it's the most Wake Forest related thing, um, which is the news this week that uh, Chris Paul, Wake Forest alum, assuming that Wake Forest defines alumni the same way that Duke does. Uh, Wake Forest alum Chris Paul is getting got his bachelor's degree from Winston-Salem State last week. And uh, it was a pretty cool, pretty cool moment. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you basically took the story away from me. I, I don't have a lot more to say other than <laughs> Chris Paul got his bachelor's degree from Winston Salem State the other day. No, it it, it came just hours after the uh, after the Phoenix Suns beat the L.A. Clippers on Thursday night. Chris Paul made it over to uh, to Winston Salem to attend to, to walk in his graduation. Um, you know, he it's been a long time since Chris Paul graduated, uh, not graduated, but left left Wake Forest for the NBA and he's been working, you know, sort of slowly on, on getting his college degree. I think it's, I think it's great that he showed that kind of commitment to school that he went ahead and did that. And the other really cool thing that happened was he said, you know, he didn't want to be different from, from the other people who were at the graduation. He, um, uh, you know, he, he walked alongside everybody else. He tried not to make this something that was, uh, you know, unusual, but at the uh, at the ceremony, it, it was announced it, it's, that it's highly usual that a 35 year old uh, person who's who plays professional basketball is walking at Winston-Salem State graduation. Naturally. Yes. Yeah, that's that. Right. That is true. Uh, but at at the at the ceremony, it was announced that he is he's giving everyone else who graduated a uh, essentially a twenty five hundred dollar uh, bank account. A finan- there's a financial services company that, that focuses on. Um, helping out people of color and and he he you know put money in a an account with that company for every every other graduate of Winston-Salem State which is really a, a, a wonderful gesture on his part uh, clearly Chris Paul someone who's earned hundreds yes hundreds of millions of dollars in the NBA didn't need this didn't need to graduate from any place to to show that he is a, a success in life um, but I think it's great that he went ahead and did this. I know a lot of people don't like Chris Paul. I'm not a huge Chris Paul fan, but but I think this was a, a good a good moment for him and and for basketball. So, hat tip to Chris Paul. I don't do that very often. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, 
really quickly, the fact that he went to an HBCU, it also speaks volumes. It means a lot. I know his parents went to Winston-Salem State, so he grew up in that environment and know and knew the university. This again, Jason, like you said, the ability to, you know, take classes virtually during a pandemic and and finish something that you started, that you made a promise to your parents that, hey, I'm gonna graduate. It may take me 20 years, but I'm gonna graduate. Uh, for him to do that, but also to focus on the HBCUs and, and really just his support for HBCUs in general, not just Winston-Salem, has been something that has led to a lot of other players also pouring resources into institutions that need them. J.R. Smith is playing golf at NCANT. Uh, shout out to NC Central, by the way. They just won the HBCU National Championship just yesterday. You know, our Dur- Durham, Durham's, uh, uh, I'm sorry, our Duke uh, neighbors. Um, and, and really just the the focus on HBCUs needs to continue to intensify. This is one way that that happens. Uh, again, a guy who went to Wake Forest was an All-American Wake Forest, All-World all in the NBA, and now is graduating from an institution that literally is just down the street from the place he played basketball, um, brings attention to that campus. It brings, it brings necessary resources. Uh, and so really kudos to him for a sticking to something and accomplishing a goal that you set out to do and also to bring attention to a place and, and to institutions that desperately need them. Uh, we, we've talked on this program about, you know, different HBCUs. We talked about, you know, Howard all the time, shout out uh, our friend uh, up there. Um, but I, I think when it comes to these, you know, institutions, the, the focus needs to continue to be on them. Chris Paul is helping do that. Congratulations to him. And, and I got another quick note that I just wanted to make. Uh, the NCAA announced this week who the new president of the NCAA will be. Uh, it is Charlie Baker, uh, the current governor of Massachusetts, who, when he leaves that job, will be replacing Mark Emmert as the new president of the NCAA. If you look back over the history of like the last 30 or 40 years or so, every single president of the NCAA has been a former college president or athletic director. Essentially, this has been an organization that has chosen from within for its leadership. And and there's nothing wrong with that ordinarily, but I think it has gotten a little bit stale. I think it it is too insular and uh, there's too much focus by the NCAA on the administrators and the administrations as opposed to the players. So I think Charlie Baker is a fabulous choice, a little known part of his resume. In addition to being governor of Massachusetts, he played junior varsity basketball at Harvard, uh, I think for like one or two years. So Charlie Baker at least knows a little tiny bit about what it's like to be a a college athlete, maybe not a big scholarship athlete, maybe not a big time player. But I think this is a good choice by the NCAA to to go for Charlie Baker. I don't know that he can change what is a lumbering organization with a bizarre rule book that seems to seems to do things wrong more often than it does stuff right but i i i hope i hope that he will at least make an attempt at it because the ncaa the ncaa is frankly in trouble uh there 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 are a lot of forces that are potentially waiting to to strike it down and uh if charlie baker can fix some of what's wrong then i think it's a good move uh, I will come to this with slightly more uh, background knowledge, which is that Charlie Baker is currently my governor. Uh, I wasn't even a Massachusetts resident long enough to have voted, to have even had the opportunity to vote for him. Uh, but he is known up here in in the Boston area as a uh, as a consensus man. 
Um, he was the he was the governor, obviously, during the whole coronavirus pandemic and uh, generally got pretty good marks from from both sides of the of the aisle, if you will, on his handling yeah, he's, of the pandemic. He's a, so he's a, he's a Republican. Yeah. He's a Republican in a Democratic state and he's popular. In so a, this well, guy who, he knows how to do the right thing in a state with a uh, with a notable uh, line of Republican governors. But yes, uh, he's being replaced by a Democrat. So, but this is, I think, the first time in a while that we've had a Democratic governor in Massachusetts. But, but Governor Baker, uh, if he's not the most exciting man in the room, um, he is at least someone that that uh, seems to gain trust and get things done uh, in a in a realm where things often do not get done. So it's possible that he could, if he could take that uh, ability from uh, you know from the state house to the NCAA. That'll be interesting. Uh, I am curious about a couple of things. One, uh, his salary is about to get an enormous boost because the governor of Massachusetts is, you know, a state employee. I think he makes about 180k a year, which is not nothing, um, but is not the salary of the president of the NCAA. Um, he also has a particularly strong Boston accent that he has to take to Indiana. So uh, I am worried about his ability to physically communicate with other members of his staff, who I imagine are mostly Midwestern. But um, he seems like a sharp guy. He went to Harvard. So uh, hopefully he can figure that out. He went to Harvard. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's, it's Harvard. Um, you got to be a little Harvard. So I live in Cambridge now, so I have to I have to be able to do this. Uh, so so that'll be interesting. And he takes over, I think, uh, this spring. So so Mark Emmer gets to uh, I don't know how he'll ruin uh, things for the rest of the the basketball season, but um, he gets one more shot at ruining things before Governor Baker takes over for that. Okay, I had an email that we received that I wanted to respond to that Jason and Donald had already responded to. So I am just going to pile on, but uh, I am sorry, I'm not piling on. I want to uh, refute in some way the answers that they gave. So this was the you have the a email. contrarian view. I do. Uh, so we got a, an email from uh, James Allen yesterday. He said, I'm not the first to say this, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that if Kay attended Duke games like Roy does for UNC, the criticism of Kay would be constant, unlike how Roy, of course, gets a pass. Uh, and so Jason and Donald both agreed with him about the Coach K thing. And I, I don't disagree on the fact that Coach K would get a lot of grief if he was attending Duke games. The difference is that uh, Coach K and Roy Williams, whether intentionally or just because of who they are, have built up their public personas in very different ways. Roy Williams has has uh, risen to the top and he, you know, he he won three NCAA championships. He went to numerous final fours with with two different schools. Uh, Roy Williams was a great basketball coach. If you're just looking at the numbers, Roy Williams had this whole aw shucks thing to him that he was doing all the way through his career where Coach K uh, took a completely different tack and sort of built a fortress around Duke basketball. Uh, we talked with Brendan Marks the other day about how one of the changes is that like the coaching staff is more open now and uh, everyone's more available at Duke basketball. Who's the one person who changed roles or who's now not in the organization, at least actively anymore? That's Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, so, yeah, if Mike Krzyzewski attended the, the, the basketball games, all eyes would be on him because that's the program that he built. And so I am happy that he doesn't come to the games because I do think it would be a distraction. Uh, they did have that fun video the other day of him attending practice to give Carlos Boozer his like Hall of Fame plaque. We didn't we didn't I, I don't think I mentioned when we talked about that, like, why is why was Carlos Boozer getting in, like inducted into the Duke Hall of Fame in 2022? It just seems like 
you know, it was a long time ago that he was here, but whatever. Uh, so I, I disagree with the, uh, or I, I agree with the premise that yes, coach K would get a lot of criticism. I disagree that like, we're letting Roy off the hook here. Uh, these are two different men with, with two very different approaches to the way that they interact with the fans and the way that they sort of deal with, with being like in the spotlight in these things. So I'm not, I, I, all of that to say, I'm not criticizing Roy Williams for attending the basketball games. I like that it's part of his vibe. And if that's, you know, the way that he wants to handle things, especially while Carolina is is mostly losing, they didn't have a nice win yesterday. Um, but while Carolina is mostly losing uh, their, their marquee games, have at it, Roy, have fun. I've got no problem with, with Roy going to these games and Sam, I think you you've made a your take is a smart one that the persona. Aww, of, of thank Coach, you. I think this is two episodes in a row or two weeks in a row that I've been like, man, Sam's really. Let's not let, here. let's let's not make this a thing. I don't need <laughs> I don't need to be pumped up. No, but I think you're you're definitely right that their personas have sort of uh, driven what what we all know would happen if Coach K acted the way Roy uh, has been acting. I, I guess it's fine that Roy's attending these games. It, it, to me, it's a little, it's a little distracting. It's a little weird how how often it happens. Like if there was a handful, I guess. But if it feels like Roy Williams is like, and he's going to a bunch of Kansas games too. It's like Roy Williams is like the the traveling basketball vagabond who just wants to go see as many games as possible. I guess that's cool. But I mean, he saw a lot of games when he was coaching. So whatever. I think, it, go ahead, Donald. I think the the issue here, in again, like I mentioned to. Uh, and, and my reply in the email, Coach K was trending yesterday because of Roy Williams attending a basketball game. And I think that right there is just already the point is not that he would be fine going to these games. I think it's fine that Roy goes to all these games. I also think it'd be fine if Coach K went to all these games. The question is, would he get the same type of, oh, that's so awesome type of response? And the answer was clearly no, because on Twitter, like 90% of the responses were people going, I would hate if Coach K went to all these games the way that Roy Williams does. And these weren't Duke fans talking. These were general college basketball fans talking. So the answer is, yes, he would He would not get a pass. He would get the scrutiny. Would it be fine for me? It'd be fine if Coach K went to all these games. But he's choosing not to because he knows that even in a day that he wasn't there, that he wasn't at a game, he still was the topic of disdain on on social media. You know, the one thing about it is because it's kind of become a thing. Like you said, Donald, it was trending on Twitter. It, it, the thing here is that Coach K doesn't go to games. Roy Williams does. We've created a situation now where if Coach K does attend a game, it's like going to be a really big deal. People now we have to talk about, about it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Can I do and, a quick and, thought experiment yeah. with you guys? So, go ahead. Uh, I don't know if she still sits there. I haven't noticed on TV, but... Uh, Prior to his retirement, uh, Coach K's wife would sit upstairs uh, sort of in a nondescript seat uh, just in the upper bowl. And yeah. you know, anyone could just walk. She was like in I don't know what row she's in, but like you could just walk by her. Um, she was just sort of in in the public like that. Uh, and it seemed like that was totally fine. If Coach K was was going to attend a game, would he sit one next to her upstairs? And again, I don't remember if she's if she's still attending games. Would he sit upstairs next to her? among the people would he sit immediately behind the bench or would he sit like on the end line sort of in like the obama you know matthew mcconaughey seats like the the celebrity seats and if he was in like no matter where he is the, part two of my question is 
would he be like red faced and yelling the whole game? Or would he just be like sitting quietly and clapping like any other 70 year old in the arena? Uh, Jason, take my question first. So I, I do not think he would sit like right behind the bench. Uh, I, I think that would be a really bad look. It would look like he was sort of looking down and, <laughs> and just yelling at everyone. <laughs> yeah, that that would be bad. I also don't think he would sit up in the stands in Mickey's seats. I think that, I mean, it seems crazy to say this, but I think there'd sort of be a security issue with that and it would be somewhat distracting. I think he would sit, like you say, sort of in the celebrity seats, like on the baseline, like in the front row, there's more security around in that area. And, and I think that, I think that would probably be where he would go. Uh, and, but I do not think he'd be yelling a lot. I think he'd be mostly calm and just watching the game. I think the idea though, is that he, I think Jason, you're right. Also, I, I think he'd be like wherever Mickey wants him to sit is where he'll sit. Um, but I think Amen. <laughs> at the end of the day, I think what it is is he'll sit in a place that's going to be as far removed from the bench as possible so that there's no like perception of him coaching or perception of him. Like, you know, looking over at, at, at the players or giving him advice or looking at John Shire, or whoever he's going to be like in a position where he can't even talk to the bench um, and so when, whenever his reaction is, he can react as quote a fan, even though everyone knows it's a little bit more than that, but, My, but yeah, uh, Sam, take the question, but uh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I, you know where I'd like for him. I, I didn't give you this as an option, but you know where I'd like for him to go. I'd like for him to section 17. Well, so I'd like for him to walk into the arena, um, for the crazies instead of doing the, the hand bowing thing, which by the way, Roy Williams would would never have that uh, as as part of his as part of the ritual. Uh, instead of the crazies doing the hand bowing thing or the you know the the, the worshiping thing, uh, they do the thing they do to the recruits. The you know the so and so sit with us cheer, and then uh, Coach K goes and stands behind the, behind the media table in the in the line monitors section. I think that would be the most fun, and then have him like standing up and doing the cheers and you know cursing at the reps. And st- I mean, it wouldn't be very different than than uh than what he was like at the end of his career you know just cursing out the refs and and generally being agitated at the game so uh that would be i think my most fun outcome guys do you want to see him attend a game at some point this year because like i said i think it's sort of it's becoming a bigger and bigger deal i i mean forget the deal i i want him to do what he wants right if he wants to go to a game he this the deal or the scrutiny or whatever shouldn't stop him from doing that and i know he'd do it in a way which in a, as much as possible would not take away from this team. I just think in his mind, if he does show up, then the focus will be on him, whether it should be or not. And that's why he's kind of staying away. I'm surprised he didn't attend the Madison Square Garden game or uh, any of the Portland legacy. I games. could see a tournament game. I could see uh, an NCAA I'm, tournament game. Those are, and, and those are places where, where it's easier to hide. Like the hard, the hard thing about, about Cameron is that there's nowhere to hide. Um, you know, it, it, it's so cramped, like even even for the people that are up close, like everyone is accessible. Like you were saying, Jason, there's a security concern at Madison Square Garden. There's tons of like boxes and um, sort of other, you know, in the same way that like at NBA games, you can't sit in the front row unless you're like escorted in, you know, from the tunnel. Um, there's plenty of places for him to to attend an MSG game and not get, you know, hassled by anyone. And who knows? He may have already done that. We may not know about it. He wasn't he was in New York. He received a. uh an award from the Heisman Trust, I saw, yep. uh, was an excuse for him to throw on the tux, which looked uh, which looked pretty cool. All right, uh, one more, one more on, uh, uh, sad. We're going to end on a sad story, unfortunately, um, but we didn't think we could we could get out of here without mentioning it. Uh, Donald, I know you wanted to talk about uh, 
the Duke swimming and diving coach, uh, Dan Colella, who passed away this week. Yes, uh, Dan Colella, who was at Duke for 17 years, had been in coaching for 38 years. Uh, one of the premier, you know, swimming and diving coaches in NCAA history passed away on Friday uh, at age 60 due to cancer. He had a long bout with cancer. Um, while he was at Duke, I mean, you may a lot of people may not know a lot about the Duke swimming and diving team, but they have been absolutely ridiculous over the last decade or so. Um, he had 64 All-American selections. He had a- ACC individual champions at seven of the last 12 ACC championships, 52 podium finishes at ACC championships, five NCAA individual titles, and several swimmers and divers who have competed at world championships and also two Olympians who medaled uh, at the at the Olympic Games in 2012. He's just one of the giants when it comes to Duke swimming and diving. And and the reason why you always saw Duke swimmers in a collection of swimmers in the country where you always hear about the Stanford's and the Cal's and the UCLA's and, and those sort of schools sending in Michigan, sending a bunch of people to the Olympics. And as we all know, in the Olympics, our team dominates. The United States is the best swimming team in the world. Duke had people amongst the swimming and diving at every single, you know, world championships and contending for every single Olympics. And it's because of Dan Quella and just the fact that he has been around has been uh, made that program one of the best in the country. So uh, for all of us, you know, we pass our condolences to Dan and his family uh, to the Duke swim and diving team, which I know he uh, meant a lot to them. And really he was just a, a pillar of this Duke community. And as you know, Duke grads, we appreciate all that he has brought uh, to Duke um, for his intellect, his coaching, uh, and he will very shortly be missed. So that will do it for this episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. As, as Donald mentioned, um, our condolences to the Colella family and uh, rest in peace to, to Coach Dan Colella. Um, this has been episode 469. Make sure you email us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back after the Wake Forest game on Tuesday night before Duke goes dark again. So for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein, and this is the Duke Band to take us home. But uh, cars averaging, I mean, he's not... He's not an overwhelming. Oh, oh my God! Hang on. So we doubly tested our Charmin Ultrasol to prove its value. Really. I'm going to kill the ESPN autoplay ads. I was I was about to tell you about Andrew Carr, and then uh, I got assaulted by a Charmin ad. Um, soft, super soft, super, <laughs> super friggin' bears. Um. Anyway.